Hey, beautiful people, and welcome to Concealed Scars. Today's episode is on amputation, as well as being an adaptive dad. My guest is Mr. Vaughn Thornton, who is an amputee, which was one of the things I found most interesting about him in general, as well as being an adaptive dad and all the things that an adaptive dad entails. Amputation is the removal of part or all of the body part that is enclosed by skin. Amputation can occur at an accident site, the scene of an animal attack, or a battlefield. Amputation is also performed as a surgical procedure. Welcome, Mr. Vaughn Thornton. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, pleasure to be here with you today. You're welcome. Thank you for accepting this invitation. Absolutely. I was honored when you asked me to be here, so I'm, I'm uh, excited to have a conversation with you today. Do you mind telling us what Adaptive Dad is and how you came up with it? So um, AdaptiveDad.com uh, is a uh, blog site that I started. And basically, um, it spawned from my journaling that I did um, in the days um, after my accident. I talked to many folks that have gone that have gone through traumatic events and being able to journal and write down your feelings and, and some of the things that you're going through really helps um, go through the process and also gets your those thoughts and feelings that you're having out so they don't uh, build up inside of you and, and um, lead to depression and things of that nature. So mm -hmm. I was able to use some of my journaling um, as different blog posts for that. Also during my recovery, um, I read many other people's blogs and journals that they had posted and dealing with similar situations. And so this is kind of a way for me to pay it forward because those um, experiences that other people had shared really helped me get through uh, my recovery phase. And so um, just a way to try to help the next person who may be um, going through something similar. Okay. Well, that's cool. That's cool. Yeah. What, did you have amputated? Because when I first met you, I didn't even know. But that's because you had on long pants. That's so right. No. <laughs> and you had on shoes. So I wouldn't have known. <laughs> that, that's right. And it's, um, you know, in Florida, um, I'm in shorts most of the time, as, as we probably all are wearing something cooler, particularly mm -hmm. this time of year. Um, but yeah, so I um, was, uh, my amputation was a result of a trauma. And, and you listed a few um ways that people come by amputation mm -hmm. um, and mine was a result of a trauma. I was um, hit by a distracted driver, um, a gentleman who was um, kind of immersed in his cell phone and as I was passing through an intersection he struck me and um, had a number of injuries, uh, fractured hip, uh, fractured elbow, but my left leg took the brunt of the of the impact. And um, as a result of that, I had to have my left leg amputated um, below the knee you know, because it just couldn't be repaired from that point. So that's that's how I became an amp amputee. Um, my The date was May 24th, uh, 2016, which is considered in the amputee world your ampuversary, which is something that uh, we all acknowledge because it is truly a life-changing event when you go through that. So not saying we celebrate it, but it is something we acknowledge. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. Well, not cool that you have to get amputated, but just I've never met somebody that has, that's an amputee. Like I've seen people, but I've never like known anyone. So I found yeah. that really intriguing. And I was like, oh, yeah, I have to get him on here. Absolutely. No, I'm, I'm glad. <laughs> I'm glad we're having a conversation. So and, and that's, you know, that's true for a lot of people. I think about myself prior to my amputation and I think about how many amputees I've seen in stores or just walking around in your day to day life. Mm -hmm. And I really can't recall many that I'd seen. Um, so I, so I, I know that feeling because I was, I was that way myself. And even now as an amputee, I don't see many of us walking around. So, mm -hmm. yeah. What was it like? Like, what were your initial thoughts when you, did you have to get it amputated immediately? Well, um, it could have been. So, um, after my accident, you know, they, um, got me stabilized at the scene and mm -hmm. I was transported down to 
um, Shands in Gainesville, which was the closest trauma center to the accident. Um, and leading up to that, um, and we talked about this a little bit, the, the kindness of others, all the folks that helped me get to that point from the just pedestrians who are passing by who stopped to assess the EMTs, the um, trauma nurses in the trauma bay, everyone um, just treated me with such care and respect and, and made me feel comfortable because, you know, when you're in that traumatic event, you really are helpless. You are really counting on others to take care of you and get you to where you need to be because I could not do that for myself. And so, um, yeah, so when I, when I got to the trauma center, they would not allow me to look down at my leg, okay? Um, I heard one of the trauma nurses say to other nurses, if you're squeamish, don't come over here. <laughs> so oh. I'm thinking, yeah, that was a sign. I'm like, so these are trauma nurses who see the worst of the worst. Mm -hmm. And if, if, if this nurse is telling people not to come over to look at my leg, then I knew I was in, in bad shape. Yeah. Um, I can remember um, the, the doctor's name was Dr. Gray. He came over. Um, we had to go to surgery somewhat soon. Um, and he, his words to me were, I'll do everything I can to save your leg. Again, another sign went up to me thinking, oh my goodness, this is, my leg's in bad shape if, if that's the, the last thing I hear before he puts me under to perform surgery. Mm -hmm. And so he was able to um, keep the leg intact. And so when I woke up from surgery, I could see my leg and my foot and everything um, heavily bandaged, had this device kind of holding things together. Mm -hmm. And so after my initial surgery, there was a glimmer of hope there. I think, okay, I can see my leg. It's, I know it's broken, but people heal from broken bones all the time. So yeah. at that point, I was feeling pretty good about what was happening as far as not having to lose my limb. Um, and then, of course, it progressed from there, and um, I ended up losing it, <laughs> losing it anyway. Yeah. So, um, and so when we, so when we got to that point, um, the chief of the the um, uh, orthopedic trauma surgery, a uh, mm -hmm. gentleman by the name of Dr. Sadasavan, who I hold in high regard to this day, five years later, um, he came in. And he was, you know, some people, when you meet them and you talk to them, you just, you just trust. Like he, yeah. he just exuded this confidence when he spoke. It made sense. He didn't use a bunch of medical jargon. He talked to me in a way that my wife and I could under, understand what was happening. Mm -hmm. um, he had a very holistic approach to healing. Um, so it wasn't about pain meds and things like that. It was more about you know, the alternative to those types of things. And he basically um, said, you know, uh, your, your leg's in bad shape, even though you can see it, it is yeah. literally, um, it, it's dying as, as we stand here talking. That I, what basically what happened, the blood flow to the bottom of my leg was non-existent because all the, the vessels have been severed. Oh, okay. Yeah. And, and, Throughout the day, I could progressively see my foot getting darker and darker. I, I mean, I can, I can sit there and look at it. And so um, he talked to us. Um, he said, we have two options, but really only one good option. One would be we could try to save it. We can try. It's going to be multiple surgeries. Um, it's going to be painful. And in 18 months, you could be right back here for amputation. Well, we make that decision today we amputate and in 18 months you'll be up walking and doing things like you normally do. Mm -hmm. And so he gave us some time to mull that over. Um, yeah. Of course we prayed about it. We looked at different options. Gosh, do I want to go to a different hospital, get a second opinion, so forth and so on. Mm -hmm. We went through all these types of things. He came back in a little bit later. We talked to him about some of our concerns and then he did something that, um, I think was probably a little unorthodox. And he said, I, I just want to show you what we had to work with. He says, I know you haven't seen, you, you didn't see your leg at the accident scene, but I'm going to show you a picture that we took when you came here so you can see the extent of the damage. Mm -hmm. And he pulled it up on the computer, swung that computer around so we could see it. And it, it was 
it was amazing that they were able, even able to keep it intact um, the way they were. Mm-hmm. And so we, um, again, trusted him, um, put our faith in the Lord and said, you know what, let's go ahead, let's go for it. And so uh, the next day, which was the 24th of May, uh, 2016, it was amputated. And then I had another surgery after that um, to ensure everything was was um, in good order as far as the mm-hmm. surgery goes. So, okay. yeah, so, but it, it was shocking to begin with because when I woke up, I could see my leg. So, yeah, in my could mind, you feel I, it. Oh, I could, um, you know, I was in pain all over so oh well I, re- yeah. I really didn't feel it until the amputation happened then I could feel it then I could feel it you know I'm, I'm sure you may have heard of uh, phantom pain, phantom pain. Yes. yeah that was my next question <laughs> yes and so um there, that is a real thing that is a real thing and I'll and I'll be honest with you I had a lot of nerve pain you know if you think about your body and the way this whole system is created Mm-hmm. You know, everything has a starting point and an ending point and everything is made to work together in, in one big, you know, amazing machine that, that, that's been created for us. Yeah. Well, when, when part of that is gone, then you've got nerves that are not used to being where they are. They're not used to ending, you know, but just below your knee. They're, you know, there's, mm-hmm. there's supposed to be a shin and a foot there and everything kind of works together. And so what you have are your nerves firing and they're trying to figure out what type of signals they're sending to your brain. And, and, um, so that's going on. Um, they've just recently been cut. So then you have the, the trauma from that. Um, mm-hmm. and then once I was able to get my prosthesis, which was months later, then your mind, and it all comes back to your mind. Then I could see a foot, right? I've got my prosthetic leg. I've got my foot mm-hmm. to kick in because wow. Now my brain's like, okay, we have our foot now. And I would literally get, my foot would start to ache, just like if you were to take your shoe and tie it really tight, mm-hmm. you know, it would go to sleep or it would, it would start to throb with pain. It would do that. Mm-hmm. And there was nothing I could do because it was not a real foot, but my mind saw it. And so therefore it's like, okay, we have our foot back. <laughs> so huh. it, it is a really... Um, it, it's tough for someone to imagine that, you know, if you could imagine, no, I understand what you're saying. Though. Yeah. Yeah. If you have foot pain, I have the same pain, but it's in a, 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 a non-existent it's foot. Just a foot. So you didn't even feel it in your other foot. I did not. Not at all. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so they do have this um, thing that it, when I was in a rehab hospital called mirror, mirror therapy. And basically what that is, is they take a full length mirror and they mm-hmm. basically, um, you know, put it on the amputated side. And so the reflective images of your whole leg, right? So you look in the image in your mirror and you see both of your legs as a reflection of the one good leg that you have. Mm-hmm. And so you can massage your good leg and look in the mirror and your mind sees you as massaging, you know, the leg that's hurting, right? And so, oh. yeah, those types of things I would have would have had no idea even existed until I got into that, to that situation. So that's cool. I always yeah. wondered about phantom pains because it's a real thing, and, and it's, it's and, a mind thing, but it's not a mind thing. Like it's physically happening, but your mind is so infused with yourself that you think it's actually happening to the point that it's happening. Exactly right. That's a good way to put it. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good way to put it. Yes, ma'am. So. <laughs> yeah. How yeah. would you advocate for other amputees or somebody or give encouraging words for somebody that may be going through that same thing that you went through or know somebody that is? Well, one thing um of course, starting the blog was a was a step in trying to you know help the next amputee or the next person that goes through this. Mm-hmm. Um, I also went through um, um, what they call um, certified peer visitor training with the Amputee Coalition of America, um, and that's basically an av- advocacy group that provides resources to 
um, amputees from, you know, they host walking clinics and help on how to navigate insurance and things of that nature. They also have a program where they'll train you how to go in and talk to someone who, say, is a recent amputee, whether it be through trauma or say they had cancer and needed to have an amputation to save their lives from the cancer, those types of things. And so, you know, part of that, I've gone into hospitals. Um, I'll have a hospital call me and say, hey, you know, we, we had a trauma come in. They've had an amputation. Could you come and sit with them for a few minutes and talk to them? They had some questions. Um, I've gone to rehab centers. I've gone to people's homes. Um, word of mouth, people will say, hey, I have a friend of a friend who's husband or wife just lost their leg would you be willing to go talk to them um i've had people reach out to me through my blog and have different questions where we've either emailed back and forth or actually had a phone conversation and so um many, many different avenues on how to help um people transition from their their fully able-bodied self to their new able-bodied self, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so my advice to them is always, you know, there's the first thing you have to do is come to a point of acceptance. Yeah. This is who you are now. There's, there's probably not in my lifetime going to be any medical breakthrough that's going to, you know, regenerate my leg or someone's arm or what have you. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, many times I find that, and I believe I went through this myself, you kind of walk through the stages of grief because you've had something with you for however many years you had it, and now it's gone. Yes. The same thing with a loved one. You, you kind of walk yeah. through those stages of grief. And so um, acceptance is, is the final stage. So you have to get to that point and, and embrace the fact that this is you now. Okay, yeah. don't don't run away from it. You can't change it. Embrace it. This is you. And just take one day at a time. One thing that helped me was not looking too far down the road. So I would, you know, gosh, what is this going to look like when I'm 65? Well, I may not make it to 65. I hope I do. But yeah. I need to worry about what the next hour looks like, what tomorrow mm -hmm. looks like, what the next day looks like. So yeah. one day at a time, um, small victories count. You know, some days you'll... You'll feel great. Some days you won't, but it's all in an effort to keep you moving forward. And then you'll be so shocked how much progress you'll make in such a short time frame, even though it may not feel like you're doing much. Yeah. You, you look back six months from now, you think, man, I was in such a bad way here. And now look at me now. And so um, just keeping that mindset, that positive mindset, and just knowing that you're still you. Right. Even though yeah. you have gone through something, you're you you are literally missing part of yourself. You're mm -hmm. still the person that you were um, before. Before, and you're the people that loved you before, love you now. Maybe even more because they want to help. That's the other part too. Allow people to help. Okay. Yeah. Particularly That's doing the, anything. The, that <laughs> is that is huge. You know, I think about people that I care about. Um, that I would love to help get through certain situations, but it seems like when it's us that needs to help, right? We don't want to mm -hmm. ask for it or accept it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's just like um, at Christmas where, you know, I get more joy out of giving something and have them be pleased with a gift that I've given them receiving things. It's the same type of thing. People want to be able to give their love and help to you. And it's okay to say, yes, I need it and, and, and please help. So um, those are just some things. And then the part that um, I really took stock in was, was use this as an opportunity to, you know, maybe make that change that you were looking for and, and say your self-care. Um, maybe you've been, you know, wanting to, you know, get physically fit or lose that weight or, or whatever that, that thing is. Use this as a, as a turning point to say, okay, I'm going to focus on this because, you know, focusing on those things and having a goal and an objective will help you, um, you know, get through the, the, the nuances of dealing with the new amputation mm -hmm. and it, you, you're working towards something. And we've all set goals that whether it be a physical goal or something at work and you plot out your, your roadmap, you can kind of get consumed by it and busy. And um, I, I, I've, I use that as a, as a, 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 a you know, kind of a, a platform or a springboard for self-care, um, taking care of my residual limb, which is the, the official 
word for what people call a stump, right? It's a residual limb and um, <laughs> making sure that is taken care of. The, the best, you know, the skin on my residual limb is the best cared for skin on my entire body. I make sure that that is getting the proper care that it needs because that is the key to my mobility, right? If, if mm -hmm. I get some kind of sore, which I know is important for, for diabetics, especially, um, I don't want to be grounded again. Now that I'm up and active, I don't want anything to jeopardize that. So I take care of myself the best way I can. And um, not to say I wasn't before the yeah. accident, but it, it, more it, cautious, it, it, it? yes, it's really a focus now. So gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. So I read your blog. Well, not all of it, but I read yeah. like the main about part. Mm -hmm. And I've learned a lot of stuff that I, I was not aware of. <laughs> yeah, I bet. <laughs> I did. I was like, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> so I do have some more questions. Sure. Just away from amputation and everything, but I do appreciate you informing my listeners and me, myself, about amputation and everything. And just thank you for oh, that. Oh, absolutely. Part. Yes, absolutely. You have a wife, and you say you have an adopted daughter. I do. Or we do, I would say. <laughs> <laughs> do you mind telling or informing us of what made you and your wife decide to adopt? Well, um, you know, when we when we first, quote-unquote, started our family, got together and, and you know, um, talked about starting a family and what that looked like for us, mm -hmm. you know, adoption was always in the, in the mix. Um, it, it wasn't something that, you know, if we couldn't have kids naturally, then we'd settle for, it was always part of, you know, part of our family will have an adopted child in it somewhere at some point. And okay. so, um, we went through some bouts of infertility, um, which in itself could be a whole nother podcast, but you may have one coming up. Um, I had one already. Did you really? Okay, <laughs> I so did. I won't go too deep into that. It's but, okay. but, yeah, but we went <laughs> we went through, I think I saw that guy. I was looking at some of your, um, but we went through some of those things and all of the, mm -hmm. you know, emotional and physical aspects that that involves, okay? Mm -hmm. And so um, we got to a point with that where we felt like we were, maybe tempting fate a little too much, um, pushing it a little too much, um, forcing it, I guess would be the best way to say it. Mm -hmm. And so we kind of took a step back and said, okay, you know, um, we both believe and, and, you know, that gut feel, you know, if it feels right, you know, we're going to continue on. If it doesn't, it got to a point where it just started to not feel right. And mm -hmm. so um, we said, we, we have talked about adoption. It, this may not have been the, the sequence in which we were going to do this, but, you know, yeah. let's go that option. And then if, if the Lord sees fit for us to have a child naturally, then that will happen. And so um, we started the process of adoption. And there were a couple of things that unless you get into it, uh, you really don't don't um, realize about it. One um, I, I soon came to realize that adoption, the act of a birth parent um, giving their child up for adoption is truly an act of love and not of abandonment um, mm. or anything like that. Because, you know, the birth mother, that, that's, a, that's a tough decision, I would imagine, for most. And having the self-awareness to know that I don't have the capability or the want to or the ability to care for this child the way they need, it, need to be cared for and giving their child up for adoption is a true act of love, um, in my opinion. And so um, when we talked to our daughter about that, she was an infant when we got her and she's 13, almost 14 now. We, we talk about that and reinforce that, you know, your birth mother loved you so much that she wanted you to have um, a better life than she could have provided. And so we, we always we always reinforce that with her. Um, the other thing I found out, you know, we may talk about this a little bit later, is that um, biracial children are considered special needs children. 
Wait, what? Yes, I'll, I'll repeat that. Biracial children, at least with this adoption agency, was are considered special needs children. Oh, wow. Right. <laughs> so, uh, mm. yeah. Okay. Okay. And that's something I, I didn't know either. You know, it goes back to, um, you know, even though you know, interracial relationships are a lot more common and accepted today than say they were 25 years ago or, or even longer. Mm -hmm. Um, they're still not as prevalent to where you have either, um, you know, a long list of say biracial families who are looking for biracial children. Mm -hmm. And so families are looking for, in many cases, children that, look like them right yes <laughs> and so unless you have that special circumstance come along um biracial children can be difficult to place in in, in certain circumstances and in certain places and so um that was a uh, something i did not know about um which was surprising to me and then the other part is that the the, the process is ex- very extensive as far as they dig so deep into your background, um, find out everything they can about you, talking to neighbors, um, talking mm-hmm. to contacts, talk, probably talk to people that we didn't know they spoke to. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and I thought, you know, every parent should go through this, you know? I mean, we, we hear these horror stories of, of these things that parents do to their kids. I'm like, every parent should have to go through this to be qualified to be a parent, right? <laughs> so... Um, but at the end of the day, at the end of the day, we're so um, fortunate. It was, it was one of the most rewarding experiences of, of our lives going through that process. Um, and, um, you know, it's funny. You, you, you go through the process, you put in all your paperwork, and then you sit and wait. You, you basically don't know when the phone call's coming. It could be a month from now. It could be six months from now. And so that waiting time, every time the phone rings, it's like, oh, is that, is this the one, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so you get, you get your bedroom together, you get the nursery together, you get all these things together and um, you just sit and wait for that phone call. And when it comes, it is like, again, a life changing event. I, mm-hmm. I, I, it's hard for me to think of what we used to do and how our family was when it's just my wife and I before our daughter came into our life. I just, I, I don't even have recollection of it. Like, what were we doing before she got here? Um, the other thing that um, that I, I feel so blessed to um, have gone through this process is that when my daughter was five, almost six years old, she was diagnosed with type one diabetes. And so, which requires, um, particularly in the beginning, a lot of attention, a lot of care, a lot of dedication to making sure your child gets through that, those early phases of it, that I shudder to think her not being in a good situation to receive the care that she needed because mm-hmm. unfortunately a lot of children are in those types of situations. And um, I'm just so thankful that um, we're able to, t- to take care of that, not knowing that when she was an effort that we would be dealing with that, but yeah. we were equipped to, um, to deal with Handle that. It. So yeah, absolutely. Wow. Yeah. I'm still so. stuck on the special needs. I heard everything you said, but that kind of <laughs> threw me it, off. It, it was shocking <laughs> because we think special needs, of course, we think about the other things that are like considered physical disabilities. Needs. Yes. But, but, uh, biracial Indeed, children, biracial is considered. Oh, wow. Yes. Um, and it's unfortunate, um, you know, and I don't have any, um, you know, thing bad to say about those who yeah. go to other countries and adopt kids from China, which that's a, no. a great need as well, or to Guatemala or wherever they're going. Mm-hmm. But, but let me tell you, when you go to that adoption agency and you see all the children that need homes, it, it, it breaks your heart. We have such a need here in the States, in our own community, that mm-hmm. need good families to take care of these kids, to set them on the, on the right path in life, to give them a good home, mm-hmm. give them every opportunity to succeed, that um, I, I, I can't see leaving our own borders or even our own city um, to adopt a child when we've got good children right here um, in North Florida. So. 
That's my soapbox on that. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's fine. That's fine. Oh yeah. Interesting. I like. I love your story, and I'm happy that y'all had the chance to even embark on that and the courage, because that's something that a lot of people think that they're ready for or want to do, and just don't know the necessary steps for. And the process, it's conceptualize yeah. it. Absolutely. And the process itself is very daunting. I would imagine some people get into the process and may not have the drive. You know, it really tests whether you want this in your life because Mm -hmm. the amount of steps and the amount of things you have to go through to even be considered and then finally get on the list. um, It really weeds out those who are just, you know, on a whim, think it's a good idea from those who truly want to make that what is a lifelong commitment, as we know. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. well, I'm glad your daughter's okay. She's doing well. She is. She's thriving, and and you know this kind of ties back to the adaptive dad part too, because mm-hmm. for years, okay, we um, instilled in her that you know this isn't gonna defeat you. This isn't something that um, is gonna stop you from doing anything you want to do or, or from being anyone you want to be you know you you just have to take these extra steps she she now wears an insulin pump which before we were doing shots um because she's totally 100 percent insulin uh dependent and so oh, okay. yeah her body does not produce any insulin and so she has to um have a continuous flow of insulin either through long acting shots or through this insulin pump that she wears mm-hmm. and so imagine you know take yourself back to eight nine years old trying to fit in and now coming into the teenage years and you have this device that you wear with you 24 7 um sometimes it's visible sometimes it's not um but we've always encouraged her to get out there don't be ashamed of it this is who you are Mm -hmm. and just roll with it we'll give her examples of successful people that you know justice sotomayor um supreme court justice is a type 1 diabetic Mm-hmm. Many people may not know that, but she is. And, and no, so I did we, not know that. Yep, she's a type one diabetic. <laughs> um, they've had um, people. Um, there was a former Miss America who's a type one diabetic. So there's many people out there that are mm-hmm. among walking amongst us every day. Um, but then fast forward to my situation, and now I have to be the one who kind of practices what I preach and saying, mm-hmm. okay, this isn't going to stop me. This isn't going to defeat me, and I'm going to mm-hmm. be proud of who I am and put it out there and, 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 you know, proclaim to the world, this is me now. So it all kind of came full circle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that's good. Yeah. yeah. Everything's <laughs> working out and worked out and I'm just happy. <laughs> yes. Uh, that makes two of us. <laughs> so. How hmm. did, um, this is back to the adoption. Yeah. If that's okay. Oh, absolutely. Okay. Because now I'm curious. <laughs> <laughs> what was it like? Well, I already know you're biracial yourself. Yeah. So having a biracial daughter, was that different? You know, for Were me. Were you nervous about the way you grew up and how she might grow up? Like, did that come into play? Being biracial? You know, um, so, so as far as, let me see how I can put this. Okay. So I, I just <laughs> recently, um, in the past few years, I'd say, started using the term and, and, and considering, you know, when I, when I would describe myself or put it out mm-hmm. there, I recently started using the term biracial. I grew up black. I consider myself black. You couldn't have told me when I was a, a bright red haired, fair skinned little kid running around that I didn't have dark skin. You just couldn't convince me of that because that's how I was raised. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, we, you know, it, it comes down to actual skin color, right? Mm-hmm. And your ethnicity, you know, what's your, what your ethnic background. And so, um, you know, I like to tell people I've, I've got something in common with our first black president, Barack Obama, because he's biracial. Mm-hmm. But rarely is he ever referred to as biracial. He's referred to as black he's because black. Mm-hmm. his skin color. Now, if he would have favored his mother, yeah, then it may have been a different story. And so, um, and so f- for me, 
um, I, you know, and, and my daughter has darker skin. Um, and so she looks quote unquote black. So it's so yeah. for me, it wasn't anything unusual because my, my family runs the whole gamut of shades of, of darkness. I would say yeah. with, with me being <laughs> on the, the lighter end of that scale. Yeah. Um, so for me, it was, it was, it was natural. Now people that see us out may see it mm-hmm. a little different. Um, yeah. but I, but I am very, um, you know, my family base is back in Virginia and, um, and so I keep her connected to my side of the family, mm-hmm. uh, because I, I think that's where she is. Um, you know, she's, she's most comfortable. She's, she's with her cousins. Mm-hmm. Um, we're growing up a certain way. And so I always connect her to that. Um, and, um, and, and I've had, you know, I think there was an episode of Blackish that talked about having the talk with your kids, right? Mm-hmm. And so I've had the talk with her and I'll continue to have that talk with her as she progresses through life that mm-hmm. unfortunately, and not all people, but yeah. unfortunately some people will judge you based solely on the color of your skin. Yeah. And um, we've had that talk with her, my, my wife and I both, and, and it will just kind of reinforce that not to let that drive every experience that you have and think that but Mm -hmm. always kind of be aware of that that there are people out there who will um have that perception and judge you right off the bat based on that and so um it it you know it's it's um for myself it's it's put me in some very um interesting um (laughs) environments Uh, i'll share this i'll share this quick story with you no so when i was um coming through high school at that time I thought I wanted to be an engineer I I found out I found out later I wasn't that good at math so that that went away but in the moment you know I want to be an engineer so I had a a cousin um uh Jimmy who was a uh alumni of uh, alum of Howard University Mm -hmm. and so there was he was an engineer he knew some folks there he said hey they've got this summer program you can go up to Howard for six weeks or whatever it is with other high school students that are interested in engineering and you kind of go through a summer school type of um, engineered focus program. And so um, here I am, right snap, snap down in the middle of DC, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I am the only one who looks like me, okay? Yeah. And, and so I think it was more uncomfortable for other people because that was just how I grew up. I'm you know, I went to a, a Southern Baptist church. Um, my my high school was was majority African American, so yeah. for me, I wasn't uncomfortable at all. Yeah, you were right at home. <laughs> I was at home. For them, it was a little shocking to see, to the point where one of the counselors said, "Hey, um, look, don't travel around without being with other people." Um, and I don't know if you've ever been to Howard, but you know, the no. campus is. Um, I passed by. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a beautiful campus, but right outside of campus is not so beautiful in some areas. And we stayed off campus at Felix Wheatley Hall. And so we had to walk through these neighborhoods to get to the campus and back. And they made it a point to say, look, don't travel by yourself. We think you might be fine, but let's not chance it. Just tra- tra- yeah. travel in a group if you can. <laughs> and so, um, you know, I've, I've had lots of experiences that way where I, I seem to have been the only, and it, and it goes on the other side too. And mm-hmm. so I may be amongst um, folks who aren't um, of color and mm-hmm. I would be, they would look at me as one of them, even though we had, we have nothing in common. We didn't grow up in yeah. similar, listening to the same music or watching the same movies or any of those mm-hmm. things. Um and I tell you, that's one area of my life where I have been disappointed by people that I've gotten to know mm. because, you know, you get comfortable with someone, they don't really know your background that well. Yeah. And then they really, then they start to express to you some things that you really didn't want to know about them. Or, or actually, I do want to know that about them because then I know who I'm dealing with. Yeah. Or the, the the little jokes start to flow out, or you oh, see someone, and yeah. uh, you know that that type of thing. And so, yeah. um, 
you know, some of my friends I grew up with think it's just the, the craziest thing because they're like, man, you could write a book on these folks. I'm like, yeah, I probably could <laughs> because I've been in some situations and some some interesting situations um, where that was the driving factor behind a lot of things. Um, mm-hmm. it, it makes me think about um, the Spike Lee movie School Days. Oh, where, yeah, that. yeah, yeah, I think one of the best soundtracks ever in a movie. But um, <laughs> you know, that was I was in my high school years, saw that, and that left an influence on me. And I, and I know at the at the end, it was you know they had that dance scene where you had the the light skin, long haired mm-hmm. <laughs> um, versus the darker skin, and 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 that is something that. Um, we still struggle with today, I think, in a lot of ways uh, with, within the community. And, and you know, some will say it, it goes back, I don't want to get too deep here, but back no, to slavery, fine. back to slavery where you had uh, this, the, those who worked in the field and those who worked in the house. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it, that, that stuff still exists today. And so, um, yeah, it, it's, it, it's, it's interesting um, dynamic, but as far as her growing up the way she is, um, when we uh, let me tell you, when we go, when we step out, you know, I've got my prosthetic leg. She's got her insulin pump. We're a blended family, so we're used we're used to look. catching a lot of. <laughs> they don't know. <laughs> they don't know what to look at first. You know? <laughs> but that's okay. That's okay. We 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 embrace it all, and we just live our lives, being the best people we can be to other folks, and um, th- that's how we do it. So. <laughs> Thank you for that and answering that. I didn't know if that was an no quick okay question or not. So you oh no, absolutely. That, that's easily that, just changed the subject on me. <laughs> yeah, no, that we, uh, we we deal with that all the time, and and it's it's part of who I am, and um, and I that in itself, we we could have some offline discussions about that. But <laughs> it's, a, it's a very interesting, you know, when I my I grew up, you know, two of my heroes in my life are my uncles who. Um, in my small community back in Virginia mm-hmm. um, were, were civil rights leaders. These were gentlemen who, um, you know, fought for the right for, to vote. You know, they would they would go take church vans and go to people's houses, take them to mm-hmm. the polls. If there was a fee that needed to be paid, they'd pay it um, at, at, at their own peril, at their own peril. They, them, my uncles and a, and a group of other um, progressive black men who were not going to be ignored and they were going to stand up and be recognized from the education that the children mm-hmm. received uh, to having representation on the board of supervisors, all those things I saw growing up and were having an impact on me. And so um, I just try to carry that legacy that they had laid for us forward. Um, and, and truth be told, if um I had not changed course in high school and decided I wanted to focus on the military, I probably would have ended up at an HBCU, to be quite honest. Um, You know, I had visited uh, Virginia Union, Howard. Mm -hmm. uh, My buddy was down at Morehouse, um, Norfolk State, Virginia. I mean, that that was where I was headed until I made a turn to go to the military and decided to go to a a more military-based school. Yeah. I have a cousin right now who is the lead counsel at, at Hampton University, which was Hampton Institute oh, wow. back in the day. And so all of that is what makes me who I am. And, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, and I'm proud of that. So. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Especially being an HBCU grad. I love it. That's right. <laughs> I, I didn't make it quite down as far as Florida. I was trying to stay near Virginia, but yeah, no, understood. Yeah, yeah. So there, there were some. Uh, I was, I was there. Matter of fact, I had a high school friend. Um, for some reason, we had never been to the school. I think we may have liked the mascot. I don't know why, but we had dreams of going to North Carolina A and T. You know, <laughs> yeah. and we had, we'd never seen the place, but I don't know if it was the, <laughs> their colors or their logo. I don't know what it was, but you know. You, <laughs> You get these thoughts in your head as, as stupid teenagers. So no, you're fine. You're fine. Yeah. Oh yeah. Cool. Well, I don't want to hold you up too much longer, so I just have one last question. Okay. And then we're good. What comes to mind when you hear the term concealed scar? Well, um, you know, I think in this, and I think um, this podcast is 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 fantastic because. Everyone is dealing with something. Mm-hmm. 
from the people you pass in the grocery store to who you worship with on Sundays to those folks you pass on your way back and forth to work. Everybody is dealing with something. And not all of those things can be seen. It could be emotional. It could be a, a mental um, uh, something they're dealing with. It could be physical like myself um, and, and others. But everybody deals with something. And I think we lose that when in this this world of social media was at where everybody seems to be living their best life right yeah everybody's just <laughs> putting it out there like oh my goodness look where they're at this week and all these other things mm-hmm. and sometimes i feel like those people who put that stuff out the most ha- have the most issues because they're trying to give this Mask facade it. that everything's mm-hmm. okay and um i think this is such a great platform for for those stories to come out that hey we're dealing with these things and this is how we're dealing with them um one thing that i think when i think in seal scars is people embracing the circumstances of things that they have no control over you know when i lost my leg that was done i i couldn't change that so what's my option i had to embrace that like okay this is who i am now And the one thing that we can control out of all the things in the world that are out of our control is our mind and our attitudes and how we react to any given situation. Mm -hmm. No one can control that for you. You control how you react. If someone cuts you off in traffic, you have the 100% control of how you react to that situation. Mm -hmm. Okay. Do you get upset? Do you get angry? Do you just let it go? You control that. No one else. And so a lot of it is just embracing those scars that you have, embracing the things that, um, you know, prop up in your life from day to day and just making, um, you know, the best of it. I I can tell you, and I I don't think I've publicly ever said this or even written it down, but losing my leg was one of the best things that ever happened to me. Hmm. It, it, It flipped a page on my life. I can tell you, I do not have any bad days. I am grateful every day I wake up and open my eyes that I get to see another day because we're not promised tomorrow. We're not promised the next hour. And so every moment of our life, we need to be grateful for it. If this is the last conversation I ever have, then I want it to be the best conversation that I've ever had with you. And so um, that's... That's kind of uh, my mindset since my accident, that I appreciate every single thing that I've been given that's been granted to me, opening my eyes in the morning. I tell, you know, I ask the Lord, if Lord, if you just wake me up tomorrow, I'll take it from there. I'm good to go. So yeah, that's how I'll end that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to thank you again for just all this exciting and interesting information. I learned so much. Absolutely. And uh, if you have any other questions or we can get into some more things, you can call me offline. I'll be yeah, happy we might to have to do a part two or something. <laughs> That'll be fine. We, we can take a deep dive into some stuff. Yeah, so and get fine. your wife on here. <laughs> oh, absolutely. You know, there is a, a side to the caregiver side of this as well, which can mm-hmm. extend past just amputation. But um, caregivers are as important in that process as the person going through it. So absolutely. Yes, I will definitely make sure I keep in contact. Please do. We'll be all on here one of these days. Oh, yes. But I want to thank everybody for listening to today's episode of Concealed Scars and make sure y'all tune in for the next episode.
for the regulars Get your nigga off my cellular Don't be mad at me if he said that he wants something better Cause would you be mad at him? Look, I know I'm bad at it uh, All of them other chicks you messing with So I ain't mad at him uh, Keep it through winning team ho uh, It'll just let you know uh, Play or get played, no other way That's just the way that it goes These niggas out here, they foolin' Me, myself, I'm bullin' I ain't stressed, I ain't worried Cause they ain't my booin' I'm all for the winning, I'm for the money committee, yeah. I secure the bag, chasing and checking your city, yeah. Now they mad at me, cause I got what they need But I'll let you in on a secret Jump on it, jump on the way Jump on it, jump on it, jump on the way Jump on the way, jump on the, jump on the, jump on the way. I'm tryna, I'm telling you how to play. 